Well, we're in the middle of a series. Uh, Pastor Jack has uh, started this one, a 20-week series entitled The Essential Jesus. What's so special about Jesus? Two weeks ago, we happened to hear that basically he is the image of the invisible God. I don't know about you, but I usually take my notes and I scribble all over them and I use them all week long. We had some readings out of the book, The Essential Jesus, of which, if you haven't picked up your copy already, there probably are some still left in the East Service Center. And uh, there's a slight charge for those, and if you can't afford that, they'll be glad to give that to you, making sure that you'll use it. But we talked about the fact that He is the image of the invisible God. He is the very fact what all things were created by Him and for Him. And then last week we talked a little bit, He shared with us about we are the bad guys. It's not just everybody else, it's us. And so today I get week three, and I get to talk to you a little bit more about signs and times that I've entitled this. And I will tell you that, frankly, it seems like everybody's looking for something that way. I can remember years ago when I was in high school, there was a friend of mine, his name was Lynn. And I tried very hard to witness to Lynn and to share with him. And I can remember he specifically said to me, unless God himself comes down here and shows me a sign, I won't believe. And I said, Lynn, you've got it backwards. You must first believe and then you get to see the signs. Well, I'm one of those that I like to collect signs. That's been with me for a lot of years. As you know, I've probably been out of high school just a couple years. But um, as a result of that, I don't know where Lynn is today. I grew up in Colorado. I did have the opportunity to walk him into faith and lead him to Christ. And uh, that was pretty exciting, but frankly, not sure where he is even today. But I'm one of those I love to collect, or I have for years, not so much anymore, but collect church sayings. And so I've asked them to show you just a couple this morning. Not all questions can be answered by Google. Second one's my favorite, or not my favorite, but one of them. Speak well of your enemies, after all, you made them. <laughs> and then the last one, happy Easter to all our Christian friends, happy Passover to all our Jewish friends, and to our atheist friends, good luck. <laughs> you know, I've often wondered when it comes to signs that, that frankly, it just seems like it's sort of bird-brained. We see those little things, and I often wonder, do they make any difference? They're nice little sayings for us. They cause us to laugh, and occasionally they offer some confirmation to somebody driving by or provide security. But I wonder, does it really make any difference? And speaking of bird-brained, I just, I don't know if you happen to know this, but it's estimated that 10 billion birds a year will engage in migratory flights home. For example, there's one species of bird called a shrike that will take and wing its way all the way from Central Asia to the equator of Africa, 3,500 miles. The longest flight recorded. Now, I don't know about you, but I wonder about the people that put these stats together that have studied this. But the longest recorded flight was made by a homing pigeon taking place in 1931. When a resolute bird flew from Arias, France to its home in Saigon, Vietnam, and when it was released, the pigeon flew straight as an arrow for 7,200 miles over unfamiliar territory in 24 days just to get home. Now that seems rather crazy, doesn't it? The reason I mention that is because animal migration remains one of those great marvels, mysteries, and even a miracle of God's creation. Scientists are still mystified by the fact that how migrating animals of all sorts, not just birds, they know when to go and where to go. They unerringly find their way back to the same beach, stream, or even feeding grounds that they haven't been at since birth. 
God's creatures have this wonderful natural sense of bearing. However, those of us as humans, and especially Christians, sometimes we'll go the very opposite direction that God has told us to go, that has given us direction. And the Bible even teaches us that in some respects, the animals themselves are more often in tune with what the Lord wants than we as humans. That's kind of sad, but it's bird-brained. It's the fact. Now, you see, in your notes, I've made a comment here, and in Job chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, it says, but now ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the air, they will tell you. Or speak of the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea, it will explain to you. Who among all of these does not know the hand of the Lord has done all this? So you see, the very fact that God has used all sorts of things. When there are those people who say, I don't know if I believe in God, I just really honestly want to say to you, really? Look around. How do you explain all this? You see, everybody is looking for a sign. We all are. We want a sign of direction or confirmation or some other direction. But all we really have to do is turn around and look. Well, you know the story I'm about to go to, and that is the story of Jonah, the prophet, who decided that he was going to go in the wrong direction. He wanted to go the opposite way that that the Lord had him go. Jesus tells us later in that story of that same wayward prophet, it serves as a beacon to help the lost find their way. Now, I don't know about you, but when you hear When Jesus himself was questioned, and you'll see it, let's look at it in Matthew chapter 12. It says, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want a sign from you. And he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I recommend, there's only four chapters in the book of Jonah, if you haven't read it recently, and most people when they do think of that, when they hear the story of Jonah, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Is the whale. Technically, if you really want to look at it, it wasn't a whale. Scripture says it was a sea monster. We've translated it to be a whale, and that's all we think about. But you know what the story is really about? It's not about the whale at all. It's about Nineveh. It's about the people. It's about Jesus reaching out to the people. And so I tell you, take a few minutes. It only takes about 10 minutes to read through it, but I want to expound a little bit on it and show you some parallels that go with this today. The story itself is not a fable. It's a fact. Listen to this. An old woman was riding a city bus, and she was just quietly reading her Bible. An atheist came in and sat down next to her, cynically observing all while she was doing her devotions. Got the best of him, and he looked up at her, and he said, Madam... Do you really believe what that thing is you're reading, that it's true? She detected the sarcasm in his voice, and she just simply said, without looking up, yes, sir, every word. And then he pressed the case. Do you mean that you believe in the existence that God created the earth in six days? I do, she said, absolutely. And I suppose you believe in Noah and the flood and the fact that the Lord saved all of the creatures. Yes, I do. So now being exasperated, he says to her, and I suppose that you probably even believe the story of Jonah. How could a man possibly survive in a fish for just three days? The old woman says, I'm not sure. I suppose when I get to heaven, I'll have to ask the Lord. Mockingly then, the atheist then said, but what if he isn't in heaven? At this point, she looked up, she turned to him, and she said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) 
Now that's a fable. That's not a true story. But let's face it, there are a few miracles in Scripture that we have a tendency to think that's a little bit hard to believe. And this is one of those. Jesus himself said, though, you're not going to get any sign except this one. And that is, and that meant that the sign that we were looking for was the fact that confirmation as to who does he really say he is. So let me tell you, the sign of Jonah is a beacon of hope. It's a beacon of hope for all of us. So don't think about whale. I know if you're still in your head, you grew up, whatever we grow up with, that's what we learn. So if that makes you feel better than sea monster, then go for it. I confess, though, early in my life, in my Christian walk, as I went through this, I had a hard time believing that somebody could survive. Until I happened to hear a number of years ago, I was listening to Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I don't know, some of you older maybe remember that. But uh, he was talking about, there were three known stories that they've proven the fact that they have found somebody that was swallowed by a large fish, typically a whale, and that they lived. One of those was a man by the name of James Bartley. James Bartley was on a ship that was entitled the Star of the Sea, and they were sailing off of the Falkland Islands off of South Atlantic. And they were in pursuit of large whales. They found one. They harpooned it. But in the midst of it, one of the others had come up, and its tail hit the fish and knocked two men overboard. They found one, and he was drowned. The second one they never did find. They did harpoon the whale. They brought him in, and they started tearing him apart so that it wouldn't uh, deteriorate. In the midst of that, a couple of days later, they noticed that when they got to the stomach, that they found James inside. Unconscious, but nevertheless, he was doubled up and somewhat digested, but he was alive. They were able to nurse him back to health, and the fact is, is that he did live. Now, stories of some of the accounts say that his skin was bleached because of the gastric juices inside. Some said he was a little bluish. Some have even said they've tried to confirm the story and have a hard time doing that. They've talked to the, the captain of the ship, and he denies it, but then there's others that say they do. I don't know. I just know that there have been three accounts that truly somebody has lived for a short period of time. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter if we found that or not. You know what matters most? Is that Jesus said it. This last week, I was talking to some of the kids in a Bible class, and there's a story in there that I can remember from when I was a kid growing up, and that was, you know, we always used to say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And then I was told in my teenage years, it doesn't matter if I believe it or not, God said it, and that settles it. <laughs> Hopefully, we come along. But I want to tell you, in the midst of this, if God said it, if Jesus said it, it happened. It wasn't a fable. In fact, in Jonah's gospel, or in the book, gospel, in Jonah's book, in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord prepared a big fish. Now I find this kind of fascinating because what it really means is God took the time to prepare the fish for what was about to happen because he knew. I understand as well, I've heard just recently, a couple of days ago, that, and that Pastor Jason's been talking about this whole thing with Jonah and, and how. It, the journey that it took and the, and the, and the distance that, that it went away and how Jonah actually, instead of going where he was told to go, he turned and literally went directly the opposite. It was no easy trip because it took a long time once the ship left from Joppa to Tarshish. And Tarshish, by the way, was considered literally the end of the world. Nobody had sailed into the Atlantic and come back. But you know what this does tell me? is that if God has taken the time to prepare an animal for a story like this so that it really wasn't about 
the whale. It wasn't about Jonah. It was about the people of Nineveh. That tells me he cares about you and I. There's a verse of scripture that I have everybody memorize when I talk about uh, the gifts class and we talk about some of the shape and understanding that. And it comes from Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That word was given to Jeremiah for you and I, for Jonah, for the rest of us. And Jonah being that beacon of hope was running from God when what he knew he was supposed to do. And yet God said, I still have a plan for you. And he has for each one of us. Well, before addressing exactly what the sign of Jonah means, because there's two key components in here that I really want to, to key in on this morning. And sometimes people just take them for granted. So I'm going to assume this morning that most of you have never heard this story before, and I'm going to explain it like a good Bible teacher would. How's that sound? Are you ready? The first one that we usually get hung up on is this three days and three nights. Because Jesus himself said, the sign like Jonah, the Son of Man, will be three days and three nights. Now I know if you've done anything like me, Jesus was crucified on what day? Friday. And he arose on what day? Sunday morning. So Friday and Saturday are only two. So what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. We don't often understand the story. And, and, and so three days and three nights is not where we should get hung up on. What Jesus specifically said was this. Listen. He said, the Son of Man says there will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now we think that means the tomb. We assume, as it's most commonly believed, that Jesus, when he died on Friday and rose on Sunday, that no matter how we look at it, it's just two days, but it was actually three. The reason is, is because if you look at the verse of Scripture that's there and you try to understand it, you have to really look at that key component said, in the heart of the earth. Now, I will tell you, I'll just save you a little bit of time, although you can sit there and you can Google it if you want. You can Google it now or you can do it at home later. It doesn't matter, but you won't find all the answers, as I showed you the sign earlier. All right? Not all of them are found on Google. <laughs> but I will tell you, what does that mean in the heart of the earth? Well, if you take a look at that, all throughout Scripture, that particular phrasing is only found one place in all the Bible, and that is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. If you find in the earth, you take a look and you'll see it 66 times, but not one of the 66 in the earth, in this case, is referring to the grave. We automatically assume that Jesus was in the grave for three days. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he uses the word heart, in the heart of the earth. That term in the Greek is cardia, which actually we get our word cardiac from. And if you, if you know anything about that, talking about the heart of something, it isn't just right in here. It really is referring to our emotions, our will, our feelings, our mind even. It's the center. It means the middle. So if you really, you could actually interpret it in the right phrase and saying, in the heart of the earth can easily be translated in the midst of the world or in the grip of a lost planet that Jesus came to save. Now let me explain that just a little bit farther. You see... The Son of Man spent three days in the clutches of this world. It's just another one of those facts that it really says, is that the hour of truth. Let me explain that one. Jesus knew a little bit about his life. At age 12, where did we find him? He was in the temple. He knew he was about his father's business, so much so that his family, his biological mother and father, had, had left, 
and they went to go try to find Jesus, and they found him back in the temple. And he said, what are you doing in there? And he said, I was about my father's business. We don't know much happens from age 12 until 18 years later until age 30. But at age 30, we see two definitive things. I put them in your notes. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 15, it says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. This is right after Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist then was taken into prison, and Jesus, right after this, then says, This is my hour. From there, he starts his three years of ministry, and from there, he starts to recruit his disciples. It goes on from there. But when exactly, then, were the sins of the world placed? upon this sacrificial lamb was it when he died on the cross was it when they laid his body in the grave the answer to both those questions is no it was before that well was it when they actually nailed his hands to the cross no it was before that you see according to hebrew law the sins of the people were placed upon the passover lamb long before it was slain when they made their selection as they were getting ready, it took place during the Last Supper. With the bread and the grape juice, Jesus sealed his covenant. I love the fact that we took communion this morning because it's not only symbolic, but it really is apropos to the very fact that the story of Jonah in the midst of this. Because you see, we know what Jesus was doing. It was during the Passover feast where the lamb had been selected and Jesus told his disciples to go prepare a place. And if you understand the Passover meal whatsoever, you realize that there wasn't one cup that they took. There were four. There was only one body, one bread that, that he said represented. But he said after the third cup. You see, the first cup that they take in the midst of the meal is what we call the cup of sanctification. Where in Exodus chapter 6, he talks about, I will bring you out. You are mine. So it's the cup of sanctification. In the midst of that meal, they take a second cup that they drink, and it's called the cup of judgment or the cup of deliverance, where he says, I'm going to take you out. And the reason they celebrated this during the Passover is they recognized that they had been under oppression under the Egyptians, and he was going to remove them. After supper then, from Scripture, it says, after supper, Jesus then took the cup. It's the third cup. To the Jewish people, it's the cup of redemption, which basically means, I will redeem you. And it's that particular one that every time we take communion, we remember that we've been redeemed, that he's taken us out. Now, if you remember the statement that Jesus says after that, he says, now, the fourth one, I will not drink this cup again with you until the last day. There's a fourth cup coming, folks, and that cup is the cup of restoration when he will be coming back again. I so appreciated the very fact, we prayed this morning in pre-service prayer, that the gifts would be in operation today. And I so appreciate the fact that I heard, we heard a word that not only came to us today, but also confirmed the fact that we're looking for a sign. And the sign is this. The sign is Jonah, confirming the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Why do we keep looking for a sign of what's about to come? Jesus is going to return soon. And we need to be ready. So every time we take communion, we need to be reminded that we've been redeemed. That's what's really exciting about it, all right? Now, look at what happens. I don't know if you realize it, but Jesus himself was sacrificed during the Passover festival. He met with his disciples, and he said, one of you is going to betray me. We know what happens. Judas left. And where did they go from there? Well, it tells us that when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. Now, Kidron was a brook that ran right in between where Jerusalem was 
going over to the other side of the, of the, the Valley of Kidron was the Garden of Gethsemane. And I've been there, been there a couple times now, and been able to see exactly where it was that he met. We don't know exactly where the upper room was. We've got a pretty good idea, but we were able to see that basically during that time they were sacrificing lambs, which meant thousands upon thousands of lambs had been, their, their throats had been slit, and there was blood that was running. And it came together and ran into the brook Kidron and would run all the way down to the Dead Sea. Jesus himself said, now my time has come takes his disciples, and he walks over. And where does he go? He goes across the brook Kidron. He steps over this sacrificial lamb's blood into the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the wine press. And it's in there that he prays with his disciples three times. Father, if it's possible, let this pass from me. And in the third time, he finally says, not my will, but yours be done. What is so significant about Jonah? Because in the midst of that, it reminds us once again that there's a sign of hope. Hope in Jesus because he said who he said he was. So when we take communion, and what's really interesting on this is as we take that communion, we're reminded of that. Let me remind you of one other thing. I don't know if you've happened to notice, but if you study Scripture much, you'll see that there were several other times that the groups were trying to trap Jesus. There's there's a place that they call the uh, the precipice. And again, I've been there just outside of of uh, one of the cities and, and you oversee and you can see the whole region and it's really quite a high area and they said that they had actually trapped Jesus there and were wanting to throw him off. Scripture tells us that he just walked right through the crowd and left. And you've often wondered about that. And in this particular time, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and all of a sudden, you know, the group comes to get him, the mob comes to, to take him and why not at that particular time did he not walk through the valley? Because you see, at that particular point, the communion with the Father was severed. Up until that point, he was one with the Father. But at that particular moment, right after the Passover feast, when he walked across the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was placed on him. Do you know what day that was? Thursday night. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And Sunday morning, what did he do? He arose. Just like he said. Now, let's take you back to the very fact that uh, Jonah, in this particular story, he said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Now, did Jonah die in that whale? No. Did the whale just sit still the whole time? No. If the whale went up, Jonah went up. If the whale went down, we don't know what happened, but for three days he's in there. Find that rather interesting. And that's what Jesus was saying, is that we tend to think automatically that it, being in the grave meant that he had to be, that three days was, was, was in the tomb, and it wasn't, because he was in the clutches. And you see, what happens is it isn't just the penalty is death, because what happens to us as well, along with the penalty of sin, is punishment, suffering, and then death. You don't think Jesus went through some suffering and some punishment for that whole day before they actually crucified him you bet he did and we need to remember that so it wasn't jesus didn't say it was going to be three 24-hour segments he said it was going to be three days and three nights and if you know anything about the jewish culture at all you'll realize that a day starts for them on sundown and goes till the next day and so therefore it was a part of three full days and three nights he arose on Sunday morning. So what other type of signs does Jonah give us? 
in regards to Christ. Well, the sign of Jonah is also a sign of peace. Not only is it a, a, a sign for us of, of the very fact that it, it, it gives us hope, but at the same time, it's a symbol of peace. You see, I've now put a whole section of Scripture in regards to, to Jonah on the backside of your handout there, and you look at the couple of, first couple of verses. Then the Lord sent a great wind on a sea, and such a violent storm arose that the, sh- that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and they cried out to his own God. And then they threw the cargo in the sea just to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep. Doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, here's the story. They're going, they're going out. First of all, Jonah says, man, I am running from God. I am getting out of here. I am going to go my own way and do my own thing. And he thinks he's going to go to the uttermost parts of the... Do you really think we can get away from God? If you think so, then mark in your Bible somewhere Psalm 139, because it really says, where can I go that I can escape from God? Nowhere. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to the heights, you're there. If I go wherever. In fact, we have to praise him, for we're fearfully and wonderfully made. His works are wonderful. He's made them for us. And so in the midst of that, here's what happens. Great storm starts to brew. They don't know what it is. They're throwing cargo over. I think when they found out later, I think they'd be a little ticked. They threw off all the supplies. I mean, they're going along, and then what happens? But do you remember just like Jesus? Jesus gets in the boat. What happens? Terrible storm comes, and where is he? He's not just sleeping. He's in the lowest deck, and so was Jonah. And they finally, look at verse 6, then it goes on, and I didn't note them, so I apologize that they're all run together in that, but it says, the captain then went to him and said, how can you be asleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice. They were all praying to whomever God to try to calm this thing. They knew good and well that if there was a way to solve this, it would work. But we can't miss the striking similarities in these words and the ones between the fearful disciples that spoke to Jesus when they came to him and they said, teacher, do you care if we drowned? Do you honestly care? We're about to die, and you're in here sleeping. What is up with that? Well, he goes on in verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for that. I always find that part kind of fascinating, too, because it sounds like casting lots is the same as casting dice or something of the sort. And so they threw these things together, and they threw them out there, and they, were, they pointed. Basically, Scripture tells us that they tell us who's responsible for making this trouble. It all points to Jonah. Look what they say to him. I love this. What kind of work do you do? What kind of trouble are you making for us? Where do you come from? Where's your country? And who is your people? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified him, it tells us. And they asked him, so what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because of what he had already done. They even saw it. Others saw it. When Jesus was sleeping in the boat during the storm, he woke up, And he brought peace to a dilemma. Exactly just like that, he arose and he said, peace be still. Jesus then brought peace just like Jonah did. The name Jonah itself means dove, which is a symbol of peace. And that's why Jesus was talking about the similarities that went with that. Well, he goes on in the next two verses in verse 11 and 12, and it says this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make this sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will be calm. And I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, picture this. It's getting rough, right? He knows what he's done. They now have figured it out. And and so they're asking him, so what do you want us to do? And he says to them, pick me up and throw me over. Now, 
I don't know about you, but if I was one of those sailors, I said, pick you up nothing. You jump, dude. I th- you know what they do after that? I didn't put it in your notes, but verse 13 on that goes on to say what they decided to do at that particular point is they decided to turn around and row harder and figure, okay, we're going to solve this, which is just like us. We get into trouble. We know we've messed up. We know what we're supposed to do, and we know that now there's going to be a price to pay, and so what do we do? We try to fix it. So let me turn around, and Scripture says, God says, ah, I'll, I'll fool them. Let's make it a little rougher. So he makes it much more rougher. And so finally in verse 14, it basically says here, as as Jonah says, just throw me overboard if you want to survive, and then there'll be peace. And so actually, I think the reason that he did that is accepting responsibility for the sacrifice gives us the peace. In other words, we've got to do something. It's my fault. Let 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 me illustrate it this way. Did anybody feed you communion this morning? Aside from Mark, I understand, okay? (laughs) All right? Nobody fed you communion. You took it yourself. You took responsibility. And in the midst of that, Scripture tells us that we're to examine ourselves prior to that. The reason is, is because we're supposed to remember every time we take communion that it was our sin that put him on that cross. It was our sin that did that. And yes, just as Pastor Don told us the story of thought it was the candy bar theft, and that was it, and realized as time went on, it was much more than that. We wrestle with that, but every time we do it, so we need, you want peace? You want God's peace? God isn't just going to sometimes just come along and just take it away. And in fact, many times we try it ourselves, and the storm gets worse. And he says, no, accept responsibility, but give it to him, because the only peace is going to come from him. And that's where it goes on. So then, look at here. Here's what happens. So then, just before they throw him overboard, I love this. I love how it puts it in here. It says, they cried out to the Lord, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done what you pleased. In other words, I can just see them. They've all grabbed him. They're getting ready to throw him overboard. And before they do it, they pray. And they say, Lord, don't kill us for this guy's mess up. And then they pitch him. I don't know about you, but when I see that picture, I, I, I think that's rather, rather humorous. And so what happens immediately as soon as they throw him over? It calms. Now they're probably wanting to row back to find out where they threw those supplies off because they're going to need those. And that's exactly what they did. They threw him off. So what kind of signs are we looking for? It's real simple, folks. I'm going to tell you, the only sign that we're going to see is the times of Jonah and Jesus. Those are the times. And as I start to descend this thing, if you will, it's all about an essential Jesus. It's all about the very fact, just like Jonah's prayer when he was in the stomach. If you read chapter 2 of Jonah, you realize that Jonah came to his senses, and he knew. And he sat there and he said this, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And then this is what I said, I am cast out of your sight. Yet... I will look again toward your holy temple. Okay, Jonah knew that even in the midst of his dark time, there was still hope. You want a sign? The fact is, is no matter where you go, there's still hope. No matter what you've been through, there's still hope. Jesus has done it. Even when Jesus prayed in the garden, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that particular moment that communion was lost and he recognized that he wasn't one with his father anymore because he had to take those sins for you and I. 
We can't do that, folks. And we need to remember that. But so no, no matter how many times you run from God, no matter how many times you've heard it, I deal with, with parents in a school many times, and, 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 and a lot of times they'll come to me, and now at my particular level, they usually only meet with me when they, it's, it's really something's really upset, or they're really mad, or it's really gone elevated to another level. But I'll sometimes get parents that'll come in and go, I, I just don't know what to do. And I said, well, what's going on? Well, you know, I, I grew up in church, and I knew about the Word, and then I let the cares of this world just kind of take me away. And I said, well, why don't you go back to where you got off base? Why don't you go back to the fact and let Jesus be the one that's in the center of it? You want a sign? You're not going to find one except in Jonah. And the sign is going to be Jesus is the Messiah. It's all about him. It's that simple. Yeah, but I, I just, I just want to know. Yeah, we all want to know. We are in the sensational right now, and that's where things are. Many believed in that sign of Jonah that that was just three days and three nights. But notice that how that parallel passage found in the Gospel of Luke didn't mention the time period. Rather, there was a contrast. The emphasis of Christ was on the way that his people rejected his ministry, his preaching, and the prophecy, in contrast to the Ninevites. Now let me tell you just a quick story in, in the midst of this, and that is why the Ninevites? The city of Nineveh, it was exactly where the Assyrians were. The Assyrians were the worst of the worst. The best I can tell you today is they're like ISIS. When, when, when the Assyrians circled around a city, most of the people in the city committed suicide because they didn't want to be tortured. That's how bad it was. And in Scripture, I will tell you, the Assyrians actually conquered the northern kingdom of Jerusalem and had circled around. 185,000 of them were actually around the southern kingdom and were about to take over. Hezekiah was wondering what's going to happen. The word comes from the prophet Isaiah that says, Hezekiah, don't worry about it. God's got this. And Hezekiah's looking saying, have you seen outside? There's 185,000 Assyrians. This is not little mom and pop BB gun guys. This is, this is terrible. And he said, give it to God. And Hezekiah did. They woke up the next morning to 185,000 were killed because the death angel showed up and killed them all as a sign. All right? You think your problems are too big? You think it's circled around? Part of the reason that happened, let me tell you what happened, folks. What happened is the nation of Israel forgot God. And because they forgot God, God said, I'm sorry, i got to let you fall to the hand of your enemies. He'll never fully forget them because they're his chosen people. But at the same time, he said, I've given you some warning signs, and as long as you serve me, as long as you're faithful, and you keep looking for these dumb signs, I'm going to tell you, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And that is the very fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Three days he was. Three days. Three is that perfect number of God. And he said, keep that in mind. You want a sign? That's what you're looking for. Let me tell you something in the midst of this. And that is, there's only two nations that have been founded upon biblical principles. The nation of Israel and the nation of America. The nation of Israel, we take a look at and we see what's happened. They were given nine warning signs and in the midst of it, God still won't let them go, but frankly, they were scattered for a period of 2,000 years. And do you know why they were scattered? Because they forgot God. Now, I will tell you, we've seen those same nine warning signs in the United States. You don't believe me? You can pick up the book, The Harbinger, and it'll tell you all about it. Right now, we happen to be in a year of what's called the Shemada. The Shemada is, a year, is the year just before, uh, it's it, every seventh year there is to be a year of rest, just like the Sabbath. We forget the Sabbath rest. Most people anymore, I can remember when I, went to, when I grew up in high school, it was like on Sunday we couldn't even cook food. You couldn't wash your car because they said 
we weren't supposed to work. And I would always say to them, but we're not Jewish. That isn't the case. We are Jewish. We've been grafted in as Christians. And we better understand some of our roots. Because, let me tell you what's happening. You want a sign of what's happening today? I will tell you, just take a look. You can Google it. You can take a look of Shemada. Shemada means the blessing of God. But Shemada also means the falling away. If we cease to acknowledge who God is, I will tell you what's going to happen is God's going to step back. He's going to open his arms and he's going to say, okay, let the enemies take over. But there's always seems to be a remnant of people that really believe, that really seek out after God, that really seek his face in the midst of that. And I would hope that that's you and me. Because you see what happens is sometimes when God speaks to us and he does it by using our giftings, not all of us are called to preach like Jonah to go to Nineveh, but similar in our lifestyles, God has called every one of us to serve in our area of giftedness. And if you don't serve in your giftedness, you're just as good as you got on the ship at Joppa going to Tarshish. Okay? And I will tell you that God says, I'm not done with you. You're going to go through a storm. In fact, some people, I will tell you, some people only come to God in the midst of a crisis. I missed one of the signs. You want a sign? When God says go east, you don't go west. Sorry, guys, I messed you up upstairs. <laughs> I'm jumping around on my notes. But I will tell you, <laughs> in the midst of this, let me tell you, frankly, one of the reasons, why are we doing this stuff with the shape and the gifts anyway, is to help empower people. I will tell you, I've, I've seen it time and time and time again. When, when God raises some of us up in order to, to study this stuff and to teach it and then to get it out there, you know, if, if God wanted us to just sit on the bench, he'd get us saved and kill us. And then we'd be done. But no, I came to Jesus. Now I'm just waiting till he comes. I got news for you. The people that complain the most in church are doing the least. And you know why? They're not doing their gift. Yeah, but I'm not a preacher. I think God didn't call you to preacher. I don't know about you, but I can't play the violin like that. All right? If I did, I'd clear this place out. That's not my gift. You know what I'm saying? What we're supposed to do is don't be a Jonah. You want a sign? Don't be a Jonah. Scripture tells us that Jonah went to those Assyrians, went to the Ninevites, and he preached to them. And I can imagine what he did. First of all, he probably looks like death warmed over. <laughs> no pun intended. But he got out of a whale with all that grass, gastric juice. Who knows if he had seaweed hanging off of him and his skin was bleached. And, you know, and he's going to a city. This is not a small city. It says it took three days to walk all the way across it. We know factually there were over 60,000 babies in the city of Nineveh. So you know it wasn't a small town. And what happens? Scripture tells us all of Nineveh came to the Lord. Why? Because Jonah showed up. He probably said, guys, if you don't get it together in 40 days, God's wiping you out. And what did they do? Okay. Okay. So whatever gift you've got, do what it is God's called you to do. You want a sign? That's the best sign you're going to have. Here's the interesting thing is that no matter how far you've run from God, do you know where that whale ended up or that sea monster? Beached on solid ground. Is God merciful or what? That whale could have spit Jonah out in the middle of the ocean. But no, God had him beached. And that's where he came out. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what crisis you're in, no matter what, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whether it's family, whether it's whatever, it all points us back again. Those are all signs that say it's all about the essential Jesus. 
If you don't think you have the resources, well, remember that CPR thing that we did just before we got to this? It's all about community, folks. It's all about power. You think you lack power? Okay, in less than two weeks, meet Pastor Jason and that, and that going through that power and understanding that. And it's all about the resources with one another. I need you. You need me. We need each other. It's all about Him. Our gifts are not given to us for us. They're given to us for the body. Will you pray with me? Stand. He will. Heavenly Father, I pause right now to say thank you at the end of this message for the very fact that you gave us a sign. A sign in Jonah, and you've also given us a sign in your word that, Lord, if we as a nation do not seek your face, do not humble ourselves and ask you to turn, there are crisis coming. But, Lord, I pray that even now as the church, as the body, that you are knitting us together that we may be about your business. You're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance and to know who you are. And so I just ask, Lord, that you would touch each of our hearts. Help us to be found faithful to what you have called each of us to do. If that means we need to speak, then we need to speak. If that means to sing or to play or to serve or to give, whatever that is, I pray, Lord, that you would just once again be that affirmation because it's all about you. You are the essential component. You are the essential Jesus. And so I ask, Lord, that if there are those even in this place this morning that really have wandered away from you, that you would bring them home. That you would bring them to that particular place. That they would once again confess their sins, admit that we are sinner and that you have called us home. That, Lord, you will once again restore us. I thank you for that. You told us that in the story of Jonah. You've given us hope. And so I pray now that as we go our separate ways, that you would be with us, strengthen us, encourage us, and may we be your witness in all of the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.